But, you know, I'm so appreciative of all the staff here. Um, and, you know, I'm so appreciative of them that sometimes I should probably buy them gift cards. Um, so, uh, so Chrissy, about a month ago, no, 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 about this is a long time ago, like, like six months ago, she got an email that said it was from me, Pastor Joe, and it said something like, greetings, Christine Holosofsky. Said, um, I'm in a meeting, and I really want to buy some gift cards for my diligent staff. Could you go buy those for me? And basically, it was a scam, right? Someone tr trying to get Chrissy to buy gift cards or whatever. But see, the thing is, is Chrissy knew because like, we've known each other for a few years now, like she's like, wait, something's up here. That doesn't, first of all, Pastor Joe doesn't call me Christine Holosofsky anymore. He calls me Chrissy. And, and so she was able to see that this was a scam, okay, that this, sh she knew me enough to say something's not right. That doesn't really match, uh, although she would like a gift card uh, that, you know, that that's just not true, that I wasn't trying to get her to buy uh, gift cards for my diligent staffs. Um, and so that brings the question, though, can we spot scams and falsehoods, especially in the spiritual realm? Because, you know, Satan is the father of lies, he's the accuser, and he will often trick us, right? He's, he's a trickster in that way. And, and so when we're doing, um, you know, when we enter into spiritual warfare, are we able to discern the truth from falsehood? Are we able to see when Satan is trying to scam us? Well, one of the ways that we do that, how do we know God well enough, as Chrissy just mentioned, how do we know God well enough that we know his truth better than what the world is telling us or what Satan is telling us? Well, we know him from the word. We know him from the scriptures. And so the more that we are familiar with who God is and his, the truth of his word, the more we're able to spot falsehoods and whatnot. And really, as we go into this series of spiritual warfare, we talked about the armor of God. We talked about how in spiritual warfare, you know, as Christians, we don't seek, um, you know, physical weapons, but our weapons are very countercultural, self-sacrificial love, prayer, and then the sword of the spirit, which isn't a literal sword. It's the word of God. It's the truth of God, which we can um, fight our battles. And yes, Satan is called the father of lies, the adversary. And again, how do we recognize, how do we defend against his attacks through the truth, through the word of God? And again, that's the thrust behind our seven sword sharpening scriptures. See what I did there? The thrust behind our seven sword sharpening scriptures? All right. Uh, well, the thing is, is we need to be armed. We need to be armed and ready. And so many of us Christians, we go walking through our day totally unarmed, without the word of God in our hearts. And so when we come under spiritual attack, sometimes we don't even realize it, and we're fooled. We're taken captive by Satan. And that really is, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, one of the reasons that we're using that scripture as one of our memory scriptures, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of the reasons we're talking about that is that sometimes Satan will say, you know what, Can, you don't really know who God is. You, you, you don't really need, you know, when you're wondering and looking for guidance, 
really what you need is God to come down and give you some vision or something like that. And although God does speak in that way, oftentimes it's, if we want guidance, if we want to know what to do in truth, it's right here in the scripture. If we want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, the scriptures is where we can go. And that includes being equipped to spot late Satan's lies. Every good work. Scripture is our training manual. It's, um, it's the way that we get to know God. It's one of our primary weapons. So it's interesting. Satan will often tempt us or, or he doesn't care if we get all, you know, trying to fight physical battles. So, you know, we get all roided up and do lift weights so that we can fight or, you know, get a nine or, you know, try to get political power. And Satan's often like, yeah, go, you know, go ahead. Focus on that stuff because that stuff is totally unhelpful in the spiritual realm. You can have all sorts of political power. You can be stacked with muscles and have all sorts of firepower, but that stuff is not helpful and not useful in the spiritual battle. So many Christians will walk in and, you know, they lift weights and do all this stuff, but when it comes to Satan's attack, they're totally unarmed. We don't want to be like that. We want to be able to fight the spiritual battles. We don't want to go in unprepared for the spiritual battle because Satan prowls around looking for someone to devour. All right, so how do you wield the sword of the spirit? How do you take the sword of the spirit to defend ourselves? Well, first, you need to carry it, right? You need to carry it in your heart. I mean, yes, I suppose you could always walk around with the scripture, and now now it's on your phone too, but, uh, you know, when you train for battle, you know, literal battle, you you don't want to have to read the manual. You want it right like this, right? So that when Satan comes and says a lie in the middle of your day, right, you already have a scripture telling you that, wait, uh, God loves me, right? God loved the world. He gave his son that, or uh, I don't know what to do. Well, God has told me what to do in the word. So there's so many ways that we need to have the scriptures right in mind. And we see that, an example of that in, uh, in, Jesus when he fought off temptation. So I want to look at uh, Jesus doing spiritual battle with Satan in the desert as a way to uh, show us how do we do this battle. All right, the scripture is found in Luke chapter 4. The temptation of Jesus is in Luke chapter 4, but it's also found in Matthew. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. So Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. He was hungry? Of course he's hungry, right? That's an understatement. All right? I would be so hungry after 40 days, I'd even eat salad without dressing after 40 days. I'd eat canned peas right out of the can. I mean, of course he's hungry. And after 40 days, he's in the desert, he's hungry, and the devil is tempting him. But I want you to be aware that one of the things that when this is happening, when Jesus is tempted, if you read just the chapter before, this happens right after his baptism. So Jesus, he's baptized, and if you remember, the, the Holy Spirit comes down in the, in the form of a dove, and there's a voice from heaven that's, that the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's beginning his ministry, and right after that, the Holy Spirit 
brings him into the wilderness and tempts him. The Holy Spirit doesn't tempt him. Satan tempts him. But he's brought there, and he is tempted. And I bring this up because sometimes when we come under spiritual attack, right, and we feel temptation, we may think, oh, um, this is happening because God is not pleased with me, or I've done something wrong. But we see here that that's not the case. That in fact, often it's when we're about to go into a breakthrough, when we're starting a new season where we're going to be very effective, like Jesus starting his ministry, that's when Satan attacks. So don't be, don't misunderstand. Don't think that if you're under spiritual attack, you're struggling, it necessarily means that, oh, you've done something wrong and, and God's punishing you or God's not pleased with you. No, we see in this episode that Jesus, he's God's well pleased with him. He's, he's just been baptized and the, and the Holy Spirit comes down and that is when Satan attacks. I also want you to notice something else in this scripture that uh, I think Luke is showing a contrast. The gospel of Luke is showing a contrast. Remember Adam. We talked about that's when spiritual warfare began. Adam was in the lush garden of Eden. He had plenty to eat when Satan tempted him. To eat the fruit of the tree that he wasn't supposed to eat. Whereas Jesus, he's in the desert. Okay, wilderness. So when we say wilderness, I know New, New Englanders think of the woods, but the wilderness in Israel is the desert. And, and Jesus hasn't eaten in 40 days. Will, will Jesus do what Adam could not? Will he rema- remain obedient to God and defeat Satan? That's the question. Verse 3, the devil said to him, so remember he's hungry, The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. So now he's quoting scripture. Jesus is taking out the sword of the spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone. See, the devil's saying, all right, you're God's son. He just told you at his baptism that you're his son. He's well pleased with you. I mean, if, if you're hungry... Just make the stone into bread. I mean, that makes sense. You're the son of God. You have the power to do it. And so if you're hungry, don't you deserve some buttermilk biscuits? That's my temptation. I deserve buttermilk biscuits. But see, Jesus has such a mastery of the word that he not only recognizes the falsehood in the temptation, but he's able to rebuff the attack. Jesus quotes scripture. He quotes, he says, it is written, and this is Deuteronomy 8.3. He he says, no, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, Matthew quotes the rest of the verse, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And I think that brings out a little bit more what's, what's the devil's temptation here? Is that in, uh, in Deuteronomy 8.3, this is referring to Israel wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Again, there's a parable too, whereas, I mean, a parallel as well, where Adam failed and gave way to Satan's temptation. Guess who else did? Israel. When they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, God's giving them food and they're still grumbling. And what does this scripture say? It says, well, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. That following God is more important than food. Despite the hunger, Jesus is not going to do anything apart from his Father's will, even if it makes sense. 
because this makes sense. You're hungry. You're the son of God. God is well pleased with you. You deserve buttermilk biscuits. You deserve some bread. So where Adam lost to Satan in eating the fruit, whereas Israel lost to Satan in grumbling that God was only giving them bread, manna, and they wanted some meat, Jesus succeeds. So this is why we need to be in Christ. It's not sufficient to be in Adam, right? We're all descendant from Adam. That's not sufficient, even though God is the creator. We need to be in Jesus because Jesus did what Adam could not do, what Israel could not do. If you look at every single hero of the Bible, they fail in some way, but they point to the greater fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And that's what's going on here. I think Luke is painting that picture. So that, yes, as Jesus is living by the word of God, he's not just providing us an example. He is being our advocate. He is being our representative if we believe in him in faith. All right, well, Satan's not done. So Jesus takes the word of God, fends off Satan's attack, but he's a persistent sort, so he goes in for another attack. Verse 5, and the devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, scripture here, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And now this one, you might think, that's an easy one. I mean, I even know you don't worship Satan, right? But there is a temptation here. And, and for one is that although the devil is not all powerful, he does have huge influence and control in the world. That's why the Gospel of John three times calls the devil the ruler of this world. But the temptation here is that Jesus was meant to be king of kings and lord of lords. Right, that one day he, I mean, right now he's at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all the universe. But how did he get there? Through the cross, through his self sacrifice. So Satan's offering him a shortcut that, yeah, your destiny and you know, you know, you're supposed to rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but you know, I'll help you do that if you just pay a little bit of homage to me you know, return the favor, I can use all of my influence so let Jesus, you'll be lifted up to your rightful place. And how does Jesus fend off this attack? Again, scripture, this time Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Again, that's, again, we may think, well, that's just, an, Jesus, of course, wouldn't have fallen for that temptation and didn't fall for any temptations, um, but again, it's that shortcut kind of temptation. Whereas um, Israel, right, was prone to seek other gods. God promised Israel, I'm going to bring you to the promised land. This is the land I promised you. So yes, you're meant to be here. And then in the wandering to get there in the desert, they seek after other gods because God's not quite, they don't like this 40-year plan. They want a shortcut. And, and so, too, you know, Jesus, he's like, he sees this. He sees that temptation, not only because it's the first commandment, you won't have any other gods before me, but in Deuteronomy, that's the context. And so that's why he quotes that scripture. Jesus counters Satan's attack, and he's standing in victory where God's people have failed. All right, well, Satan has one more last attack. 
And here, he actually tries to use Scripture himself. He's sneaky. Verse 9, And Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now Satan's quoting Scripture, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan, he's quoting actually Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. Now this psalm, it promises that God will protect those who follow him. Now, that's a scriptural truth, right? God, God's going to protect you. He'll look after you. And it says, it's especially in the context that God will protect those who follow him, especially his anointed ones. God will protect the anointed kings, including the Messiah. So that, yeah, they'll, you know, uh, he'll give them that protection. So do you see how Satan's twisting scripture. He's twisting a scripture about following God. So if you follow God, he'll look after you. He twists that scripture to try to get Jesus to not follow God by testing, by testing him, by testing God. In other words, oh, if you're following God, then you should be able to throw yourself off here and God will protect you. Do you see what's happening? Is there, There's that twist where Jesus is being tempted to take the prerogatives of God, where instead of God calling the shots, Jesus will call the shots. And here's the thing, is that anyone who should be able to call the shots, yeah, it's Jesus, the Son of God. If anyone has the prerogative to be able to do that, Jesus should be able to. But in his his flesh, he's being our representative. So that he wants to perfect show us how to follow God's will. He's following God's will where Israel couldn't, where, where Adam couldn't, where even King David couldn't. And so his job is to follow God's will to a T. And, but Satan's like, all right, I'm going to set this situation up so that if you're following God, you should be able to do this. And in so doing, he's switching places. And that's the temptation. And so many times I hear Christians ripping scripture out of context to get God to serve them instead of them serving God. And that's the temptation. That's what, this, that's what Satan is doing here. And Jesus sees it and uses scripture to then say, Mm-mm, you can quote scripture, but you're doing it improperly. You're proof texting. And so how does he respond? In verse 12, Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So again, that's Deuteronomy 6, 16 that Jesus is quoting. And in that context, again, Israel was in need of water in the desert. And they basically said, wait a minute, if God has brought us here, he better give us some water. And if he really wants us to follow him, and we're going to take him, you know, he better give us some water. And God did give them water. But what this showed was their lack of faith. And when you lack faith, you have to test God. Because you don't trust him. So you have to put him to the test. But see, when that happens, you're turning the tables. And you're taking God's prerogative. Jesus recognized that, what Satan was doing. And so he does not test God. So many times we have a problem. And we say, all right, God, it's time for you to pass the test. 
But again, that switching rules. Because God leads us. He calls the shots, not us. So Jesus quotes that scripture. He turns back Satan's own twisted use of scripture. And Satan goes away until a more opportune time. But see, Jesus had the word in his heart. And he knew how to use it. He knew how to use it. So Jesus gives us the example. How are we going to fight this spiritual battle? We use the sword of the Spirit. So I ask you, are you unarmed? As you're going into your week this week, are you unarmed? Are, are you able to be easily tricked by Satan? Know the word. And what's, what I think we see here is don't just know proof texts. Right? Satan was able to pull out a, a scripture and use it and twist it for his, his own purposes. That's proof texting. That's where you're like, I want something to happen. I want something to be true. So, oh, look, I can find it in the Bible. Whereas Jesus knew the word so deeply that, that he, he even knew the, the, the context and all that. So when he's quoting it, it's not just the scripture itself. It comes with it, the whole story of salvation history. Where Jesus says, yes, where Israel failed, where Israel gave in and tested God, where Israel took prerogatives that were only for God upon themselves, where Adam failed, and in many other places where David failed. No, um, Jesus will not fail. So too many, too many people, too many of us Christians, we actually interpret the word of God and we interpret the world around us through a worldly lens instead of through the scripture. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, whether it's a political thing or whatever. When we look at the world, we interpret it not by God's word, but by some worldly system. And that's when we fail. That's when Satan tricks us. And so main takeaway, you know, you can go to the desert on a horse with no name, <laughs> but, but do not go without your word. Right? Do not go without your sword. Bring the sword of the Spirit because as we go, we will be tempted. We will be tricked. And what's also interesting is, you know, although Jesus used his supernatural power on many occasions, casting out demons, healing people, he doesn't do that here to defeat Satan, does he? No, he used the word of God. He did that to show us the need we have to know God and his word so well that we can fend off those spiritual attacks because they come, they come at us hard. That's why I'm doing this series on spiritual warfare is because every day we come under temptation, we come under attack, and we are so often unarmed. So take up the sword of the spirit. But I want to give you some good news as well. I mean, that's good news, but uh, some of you might be reading that as bad news in the sense of you're starting to feel guilty. You're feeling like, man, I don't know the word of God. Maybe you've been a Christian for decades and you're being confronted with the fact that you're unarmed. You've been a Christian for a decade and you don't even have the sword of the spirit and you're feeling guilty. Well, that's where this scripture lets us know that where Adam failed, where King David failed, where Israel failed. Jesus did not fail. He is the better Adam. He is the true Israel. He is our representative, interceding with us before God. So that if you're feeling oh, uh, some condemnation, if you're feeling like, I need to do better, no, what we need to do is press in and know God more. Yes, we do that through his word. But ultimately, it's Christ 
our faith is in Christ. Our faith is not in our abilities or, or our memorization of Scripture. No, that is a means to know God more, to draw closer to Jesus because we trust in him, not in ourselves, not in our memory, not in any of that stuff. That's where Galatians 2.20 comes in. That's one of the reasons it's one of our memory verses. Right? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So my faith is in Christ. My faith is he did what I cannot do. He did what Adam could not do. He did what Israel could not do. Not only did he resist temptation, but then he gave his life for my sins. So if you've been caught unarmed, if you've given in to temptation, I think we all have. I know we all have. But even today, don't let Satan say, oh, you know, you better stay away from church or, or you better run from Jesus because look at what you did. No, the word says, no, run to Jesus. That our faith is in him. That even now, the life we live, my, the secret to life is not in, you know, figuring out some, some sort of self-help stuff. It's that it's, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So maybe that's what you need to do today. Run to Christ. And it's not so that he approves our sin or failure, but transforms us. So that as we live in him, as we allow him to live through us, he transforms our hearts. He empowers us to resist temptation. And he gives us his good word to live and to thrive.